Well, Happy New Year. It was a long time ago, wasn't it? Happy New Year to you. And Happy New Year if you're watching online. It's great to have you here with us. And you might be interested to know the most searched, you might not be interested, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You might be interested to know the most searched Google on Google New Year's resolutions were these. Number one, any guesses? Get, eat less kind of, get healthy. Get healthy, 62 million searches. Number two, get organized. 33 million searches. Number three, 19 million searches, live life to the fullest. Profound. Number seven, surprised me, 8 million searches, read more. I didn't think anyone read anymore. I, I, but if you were wanting to read more, why would you go on Google and search read more? I mean, call me old-fashioned, but wouldn't you just pick up a book? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something there. But yep, 8 million people decided well, they want to read more this year. Um, and in this... As we look at this series, Pictures from the Future, that's really what it's about. Pictures from our future. And we uh, laid out a vision last September of where we felt the Lord was calling us to go. We really believe that we're to be a community, an apostolic local church. Apostolic just means sent. So we're people that we don't just gather to kind of huddle together and make ourselves feel better, but we gather to go. We gather to impact. We gather to change the world around us. But we're part of an apostolic family. That's what we're building and involved in, leading in, that we are connected with other churches around the world, in France and in the Muslim world and all over the place, that together we believe that God is changing the world and using us to play our part to influence and change the world. But one of the things that we really felt the Lord speaking to us over this academic year from September last year through to uh, the summer this year comes from a verse in the Old Testament from Isaiah 56, and it says this, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And one of the things that we have a vision for, we have a picture of the future of, is that this, our community will become a joy-filled house of prayer for all nations. For all people that when they think of us, they think of a passionate, prayer-dependent, God-fueled, life-energized people who pray and seek God and find that he hears them and he answers their prayers. A people that when they're in trouble, they pray. When they're celebrating, they pray. The people who gather to pray, who regularly pray, that this place will be a joy-filled house of prayer. Notice the joy-filled. I'd never seen that till I read that recently. Whenever some of us think about prayer, we just think, oh, God. It's a bit dull and I just feel guilty. But actually the Lord is saying he wants a people who see prayer as a joy-filled thing. That's his design. That's what he is asking us to move towards and to become. And it's not that we don't pray or haven't prayed, but he's taking us on to something more. And, and, and one of, a few things have got to change. One is, I think, the whole, over the whole round, of, uh, the area of guilt. I mean, who's ever thought and felt guilty because they've had this thought, I just don't, you just don't pray enough. I just don't pray enough. Anyone had that thought? A few people willing to admit it and others that think it but aren't willing to admit it. That's fine. You don't pray enough. Listen, I've been, I'm learning never to let those thoughts into my head. Why? Because when is enough? If you let that thought in your head, when is enough? Never, you're never going to pray enough because that's undefined, isn't it? However much you pray, it will never be enough. The thought will come back, well, it's still not enough. It's still enough. Like some slave driver, you still don't pray enough. That's, no, that's not going to get you where you want to go. You don't pray enough is not going to get you. How about this? I love two, thank you. I love 2017 to be a, a year where I learned to pray more. But what about this? The Holy Spirit whispered in my ear one night as I was going to sleep. The prayer of faith. 
as I drifted off, thought, I don't really know anything about the prayer of faith. What even is the prayer of faith? How about this as a thought? You don't pray enough, and I get rid of that thought. What about this? I'd love to learn to pray the prayer of faith. What is the prayer of faith? What does it mean for us to become a joy-filled house of prayer? Let me read you this story. It's from a guy called Demos Shakarian, which is a phenomenal name, if anyone's looking for a name for their kids. Demos Shakarian. Famous Christian 30 years ago. My sister Florence was driving a car. She had a collision with a, a truck carrying a heavy load of asphalt. Hang on a minute. Stop. Oh, paper. I need paper. Uh, <laughs> the car was wrecked and hot asphalt was spilled over my sister. When they finally got her out of the wreck, she had third degree bones covering large portions of her body. Her pelvis had been crushed, suffering seven fractures. Her leg was torn loose. When the left leg was reset in the hospital, it was three and a half inches shorter than the other due to the injured pelvis. She was compelled to lie in a bed of salve because her burns were so severe that she could not stand the touch of the clothing, the bed sheets. X-rays showed that the sharp points of broken bones were heading to vital organs of her body. Subsequent X-rays were taken for seven days. These showed her condition getting worse. The doctor said if she lived, she would always be a cripple. I was only a young Christian at the time, but I knew that I needed help. In desperation, I went to the meeting of a well-known pastor, Dr. Price. He agreed to come and pray. It was half eleven at night when we reached the hospital. My sister lay in her bed of salve, half hidden by a thicket of tubes and pulley wires. I introduced Charles to her, and she nodded weakly. Dr. Price took a bottle of oil from his pocket and poured a little in his hand. Then, reaching through the apparatus around the bed, he placed his fingertips on Florence's head. Lord Jesus, he said... We thank you for being here. We thank you for healing our sister. His strong, gentle voice continued to pray, but I no longer even heard the words, for an extraordinary change came over the atmosphere of the room. It seemed more crowded. The air itself seemed to have become thick, almost as if we were standing in water. At once, on the high bed, Florence twisted. Dr. Price jumped back as one of the heavy steel traction weights swung past his head. Florence rolled over to the side as far, as far as the wires would allow, and then the other. Now the weights were swinging all over the room, swinging and circling as she rocked backwards and forwards. I knew we ought to try and stop her, but I just stayed where I was, wrapped and bathed in this pulsating air. For 20 incredible minutes, Florence continued to toss and roll in her wire prison, while Dr. Price and I dodged wildly, swinging weights, trying to pray for her. It was as though the three of us had been transported out of order space and time altogether into a world inhabited by a warm, all-invading presence. And then, just as suddenly, it stopped. And we were in an ordinary hospital room again. Florence lay still on her bed. Gradually, the weights ceased their circling. The next morning, I was awoken by a phone call. The consultant I needed to come and see these x-rays. When I got to the hospital, the x-ray room was jammed with people. Doctors, nurses, lab technicians were crowding to see. Pinned against a lit screen were eight x-ray plates. The first seven showed a crushed and dislocated left hip and pelvis. The bone was almost pulverized in place. The bone chips more widely dispersed in each succeeding photograph. In the eighth slide, taken that morning, it showed a pelvis that was normal in every respect. Wow. The two sides... The two sides of the picture were identical. The left hip bone was as formed as the right. Only some tiny hair, hairline cracks indicated that once, surely many years ago, this solid, solid bone had ever been injured. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that story, and that actually was the founding story for, for, uh, for Demos. That was one of those stories that changed his life more than the other. I tell you what, I want to learn to pray the prayer of faith. 
I want us to learn to become a joy-filled community, a house of prayer. And, and you know, it's one thing to have a vision, but it's another thing to think about how are we going to achieve that vision. And God sends people to help you. I mean, just, just to encourage us, I believe the Lord is really sending people to help us. We've got uh, Alan Scott coming from Coleraine to speak to our leaders this term. And then the other day, we had Randy Clark, who many of you will know, he's a phenomenal healing revivalist. As, as far as I know, been involved with four revivals across the world. His uh, administrator phoned us up and said he's had a cancellation. He'd like to come to the King's Arms. So he's coming this term. So I think God is sending people to help us. But the question is, what's our part? What do we have to do? So let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we just pray, help us. Lord, we recognize that this is a vision in your heart, that we would be a joy-filled house of prayer for all the nations, that the, the power that resonates out of this place would impact our community, but also the world around. You've given us this vision, God, and we say, we need your help. We need your help to achieve it. And we say, come speak to us again this morning from your word. In your name, amen. So let me tell you a little story. So Elijah, one of the uh, prophets, leaders in the Old Testament, he is there uh, in a situation where the people of Israel are going off the rails. Evil king, Ahab, wicked king, uh, leading people astray. And Elijah, prompted by God, comes to Ahab and says, you are are leading people astray, and to wake you up, there's going to be no rain for three years. They worshipped a god called Baal, who was the god of harvest and and, uh, and, uh, um, provision. And so God says, you want to worship that god? I'm going to show you that he does not provide. There's going to be no rain for three years. And then Elijah disappears. They look for him, trying to kill him, because they realize he's ruining their lives. Well, not really him, but their own actions, but they wouldn't admit that. They try and kill him, and then three years later, Elijah turns up again and says, if you'll change your ways, if you've learned your lesson then God will send the rain. And so the people change their thinking, they change their ways, and Elijah prays. And this is the story, quite a famous story. He goes up to the top of a mountain, he kneels down, and he prays. And he says to his servant, go and look for the sign of rain. The servant goes, comes back, no sign. He sends him seven times, and on the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand. And Elijah immediately knows that his prayer has been heard. And so he says to the king, you better head back to your palace. He said, but there's a torrential rain coming. And the story goes that as they ran back to the palace out of this kind of wilderness place, there was a torrential rain. The people were saved from poverty and famine. Now let me read you from James chapter 5 because it alludes to this story and uh, there's some keys for us in it. We have a great honor to those, uh, we give great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Job is another Old Testament figure who uh, basically had so much, he was a massive attack from the enemy. Everything was robbed, eight of his kids died, but the Lord ultimately preserved him and saved his life and healed him. Verse 13, are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? Sing praises. Are any of you sick? Call the elders, the leaders of the church, to come and pray over you, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. That's the only time in the scriptures that phrase is heard, as I alluded to earlier, the prayer of faith. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your sin to one another, pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. 
So we'll pick out that, that passage and that story just for a few things. Because whenever you've got a goal, whenever you want to go somewhere, there's two things that have to happen. First, you have to think, how do I have to think differently? And secondly, how do I have to act differently? How do I think differently and how do I act differently? There's no point just acting differently because if your thinking hasn't changed, your actions will just revert to what they were before. Why do 92% of New Year's resolutions never get fulfilled? Sorry to depress you if you've made some. 92% never get fulfilled. Why? Because people don't think differently. They don't take the time to think differently. If we think differently, we'll act differently. But it's not just enough to think differently. We also have to act. We have both. It's both elements. So if we are to see a joy-filled house of prayer, a community change from one place to another, what do do we need to think differently and how do we need to act differently? A few thoughts. Firstly, I think we need to to think differently about our reliance on God. We need to think differently and deeper about how reliant on God we are. If your vision can be achieved without God breaking in, then I would urge you to reconsider because I think your vision's too small. Because you have been made to be a person who's who's called to change the world. Your call on your life is to change the world. And if your vision is small enough for you to achieve it in your own resources, it's too small. And we need to understand God has called us to have a massive vision to change the world around us, but we need to rely on him. And it can only be achieved if he comes through. That's the first way we've got to think differently. The second is this. We've got to think differently about who God is, what he can do, and the power of his presence. That story from Demos Shakarim was powerful, wasn't it? When his presence comes, everything changes. The world gets and looks different. And what it says, and what James writes is this, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And we have to think differently about who God is. It's called faith. Now, if you're a new believer or not yet a believer here, you might be confused by this term faith. You might look at perhaps the Christians around you, the person next to you, and think, their faith looks pretty amazing. I'm not sure I could ever have faith. I've even had people who are not believers say, I'm not sure I could be a Christian because I just don't have enough faith. And I want us all to understand what faith is. Faith is not us pulling ourselves up by our own bootlaces. Faith is not faith in my faith. It's not like I got a, a dose of faith and that's going to keep... No, what is faith? Faith is faith in God. It's an understanding of who he is and what he wants to do. If you are a new believer or if you are, are, are not a believer or if perhaps you just want to grow in faith, I'll tell you what to do. You've got till Easter. You've got three months, 24 chapters in the book of Luke. The book of Luke in the New Testament, 24 chapters. Take three months to read those 24 chapters. Eight chapters a month. And as you read those... Is that maths right? Yeah. As you read those, (laughs) as you read those eight chapters a month, read them slowly. Just 10 minutes a day. Read them slowly. And after every 10 minutes, take five minutes to picture yourself. Close your eyes and picture yourself in the scene. And listen to the words of Jesus that you've just read. Or walk in the streets that Jesus just walked in. Or witness the miracle that he's just done. And come to me after Easter and tell me if your faith has not grown. (laughs) Why do I know it will grow? Because you've been with Jesus. And you've seen what he's like and how kind he is and how compassionate he is. And how gracious he is and how powerful he is. And you've spent three months meditating. That's the biblical word for what I've just told you to do. Meditating on Jesus and who he is and what he can do. I'm telling you, your faith will grow. (laughs) 
That's why we worship every Sunday. Because why? Because it gives us a picture of who God is. And as we see that, our, our faith grows. And all week, we're bombarded with, you can't do this, and you can't do this, and that won't ever happen, and this won't ever happen, and there's bad news here, and there's bad news there, and we're bombarded with that. And then we come on Sunday, and we gather as God's people, and we worship, and we think, oh yeah, forgot about all that. <laughs> because he's on the throne, and he is the Lord. And the Lord will raise him up. And he does impossible things. We've got to change our thinking. If we're to be a, a joy-filled house of prayer, part of our thinking that's got to change is who God is and what he can do. The third thinking is this. We've got to learn to think and pray according to his will. You know, Elijah could not have prayed for there to be no rain. And then prayed again for there to be rain, unless he'd known that that's what God wanted to do. He, he, there's just no way. There's no way. I've, I have prayed that it wouldn't rain on many occasions, and it rained. Anyone else join me in that? I have prayed and realized I have zero control of the rain. <laughs> However much I pray, sometimes it just rains. So there's no way that Elijah could stop the rain for three and a half years without knowing that that's what God had willed. So if we're to be a joy-filled house of prayer, one of the things is this. We've got to think differently about the will of God. And we've got to learn increasingly to say, Father, I want to pray only according to your will. This is what 1 John 5 says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. John is saying, know the will of God before you pray. How can we know the will of God? This is why we pray with open Bibles. This is why we open our Bibles and we look in our Bibles and we say, that's the will of God. I need wisdom. I'm not just appealing into the air for wisdom. I'm looking in the Bible and the Bible says, if anyone needs wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to him in James 1. And so I can, I can open my Bible and I can say, God, you said that I would have wisdom. It's a bit like this. A week or so ago, one of my kids came to me and they wanted something. And I said no. I don't always say no, by the way. But I said no. It's good to say yes, but also as a parent, sometimes it's good to say no. And I said no. And then he uttered the three words of power. Dad, you said. Oh! Dad, you said are a powerful combination for any child. Dad, you said that I could do this. Dad, you said I could have this. Why? Because it's appealing to my own words. It's appealing to my own heart. It's appealing right to who I am. Dad, are you a liar? That's basically what he's saying. And of course I'm going to say, I'm not a liar. All right, if I said it, you can have... Oh, no. <laughs> I said no, and now I've said yes. Now, if I, being a flawed father which I am, by the way, I know you know that. I, being a flawed father, am moved by Dad, you said. How much more the perfect father who has written down his will for us when we bring it to him and say, Dad, you said I need wisdom and you said I could have wisdom. Dad, you said I could hear your voice. You know, many believers battle, I can't hear God's voice. I used to live like years, I live like that. I can't hear God's voice. I never, I never believe that anymore. Because the scriptures are quite clear. It says, my sheep hear my voice. Can I bleat? Nah. <laughs> Am I a sheep? Nah. 
I am his sheep. I am his follower. I am Jesus' sheep. I am his follower. Therefore, I can hear his voice. So when the lie comes, oh, you won't be able to hear his voice, or you can't hear his voice, I'm like, no, no, no. Dad, you said I could hear your voice. You know, sometimes when I'm battling with sin in my life, and there's something that I just think, oh, I keep doing the same thing. I know it's wrong. I keep thinking the same thing. If you stood outside of my shower, outside the bathroom, you would hear these words. Sin, you will not have mastery over me. Because the word of God's word says, sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, you're under grace. And I go to war with it because I'm saying, Dad, you said sin would not be on. In this area, sin feels like my master. I'd keep doing the wrong thing I don't want to do. God, Father, you said. Now, don't stand outside my bathroom door. It'd be really weird and really uncomfortable for both of us. But you get the point. You get the point. We've got to think differently. And, and you think, well, what about if I don't know his will? Well, this is what the Bible says. Isaiah 30, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the walk, this is the way, walk in it. So you might think, well, I, I want to go for this job, or should I go for that job? That's not going to be in James chapter 4. Well, then you've got a verse right there that covers that situation. You will hear a voice behind you. If you don't know his will, you can know his will. He promises you. He's not left you as an orphan. You're a child of the living God. I'm a child of the living God. We can know. We've got to think differently about the will of God. We've got to think differently about the power of our prayers. You know, this is what James writes. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. If you know anything about Elijah, he was this kind of crazy, wild-eyed, wild-haired prophet who prays up the top of a mountain for rain. And that James says, he's a man just like you. And where his prayers are powerful and effective, so are yours. So are yours. Uh, one of our TSM, I haven't got time to tell you the whole story, but one of our TSM students once sent me a story of a lady she'd prayed for in the pub who got healed. But this is one of the lines that stood out to me. She said this, After a seriously feeble one-sentence prayer, God healed her. <laughs> I, love, I always remembered that. I made a note of it at the time. After a seriously feeble one-sentence prayer, God healed her. How many of your prayers seem to you seriously feeble one-sentence prayers? But God hears them. Your prayers, my prayers, are, we've got to think differently about this. My prayers, your prayers are powerful and effective in the eyes of God. When that thought comes into your head, oh, it's just a prayer meeting tonight, what difference will my prayers make? No one will notice me. When you're gathered to pray in a group of friends and you think, oh, there's no point praying, I'm sure so-and-so's got a better prayer than me. That is a lie. Think differently. Your prayers are powerful and effective. They might be fumbling, they might be stumbling, they might not line up with all the Bible that you know, you might not know much of the Bible to pray, but they are powerful and effective. Why? Because you have been adopted into the Father's family. And as long as you can say, Dad, you said, he will hear your prayer. <laughs> he will hear your prayer. Your prayers are powerful and effective. I used to say, you know, I'd pray for someone or something, and afterwards I'd be telling the story and I would say, I prayed and nothing happened. Do you know what? I never allow myself to say that now. Because how do you know? And I've prayed for so many situations where nothing happened, and then something happened. And very often we undo the very prayer that we've prayed. We show a lack of faith in the fact that we are the ones who've prayed a powerful and effective prayer, and then we undo it by saying nothing happened. And the enemy says, well, you think nothing happened, therefore nothing will happen. And God says, I thought you prayed and asked me to do something, and now you're saying nothing happened. Never say nothing happened after you pray. How do you know? 
How do you know? There's a picture in Revelation of a bowl, and it says in this bowl, it says the prayers of the saints, and it got to the point where this bowl tips over, and the answer to that prayer cascades. How do we know if just our prayer towards this massive thing that you're praying is not just one drip that fills the bowl to the point of tipping it over? Never say nothing happens. Leave it in the hands of God. You could say nothing seemed to happen, but never say nothing happened. You don't know. Your prayers are powerful and effective. And then last thing we've got to think differently about is disappointment. You know, James alludes to this guy, Job, who had a terrible, terrible run of it. I mean, he was doing well. He goes under attack. His eight, I think his eight kids or seven or eight kids get killed. He's then sick over a long period of time, and God restores Job. But you know what? I can't believe out of Job's story. He had more kids, and, and his family, and his wealth, and everything were restored. His health was restored. But I cannot believe that in Job's heart, there wasn't a little bit of disappointment. <laughs> there wasn't a little bit of disappointment. And yet James, right in this passage, teaching us about the prayer of faith, uses Job as an example. Why? Because Job prayed things like this. I know that my Redeemer lives and he will walk on the earth and I will see it. You see, Job lived with a perspective not just for this life but for the next. He never saw Jesus walk on the earth. He never heard the stories but he knew it was coming. And he lived with an eternal perspective. He refused to let himself go under disappointment. And you know, I want to speak to those of us who know and knew Zoe Joy. Because last year was a traumatic year for us as a community. We lost one of those that we love most dearly. Zoe Joy, for those who didn't know, was a worship leader. She was just full of life and passion and energy. And she had a very short battle with cancer and died very suddenly last year. And it was a shock to many of us. And we've grieved and there was loss. And many of us are grieving and still feel that loss very keenly. What I want to say to this is this. We cannot afford to let the disappointment of last year rob us of the victory of this. Zoe Joy would not have wanted it. In fact, one of the last things she said was, do not let anyone get disappointed over me and what's happened to me. Even a few months before she died, she prayed for two people who had hearing aids, were partially deaf in both ears, and both were instantaneously healed and took their hearing aids off and could hear. She lived in the mystery of healing and not healing, of breakthrough and not breakthrough. She lived and she died well and full of faith. And she would hate to think that she had left behind a people who are still grieving over disappointment. And we should grieve and we should mourn the loss, but who were locked in disappointment because of what happened to her. The Lord promised her before she died that she had a dream of her pressing a big red button and what happened to her, pressing a big red button, what she believed was a launch into prayer in a new level. Let that be her legacy. If anything, it should make us go after cancer more and after sickness more and after breakthrough more. I mean, one of the things we've got to go after this year is mental health, mental illness. We've got to see some breakthrough. Even our prime minister is seeing it and registering it as this is a national crisis. We've got to go after it. We've got to see it come. What is it for you? Just take a moment. Turn to the person next to you. A few things are like my thoughts. What, in what way do you need to think differently? in order for us, for you, to be part of a joy-filled house of prayer. Just turn to the person next to you. What way? Maybe one of those five, maybe something else. Just reflect for a minute. If you've got bingo, you can, you can shout bingo if you've got all of them. 
carry on that, carry on that conversation later. But it's important, isn't it? Because if we want to get to where we want to go, we've got to think differently. And so maybe write that list down and say, Father, one at a time. You can't change your thinking all at once. So one at a time, we're going to go through that this year until I think differently. But the second part of it is we've got to act differently. A few things that I think are going to be important. Firstly, I think we have got to move into a discipline around comfort and entertainment to a whole new level. You know, there's um, prophets in the church, but there's also prophets in the marketplace. And there was a guy this last year called Simon Sinek who released a video called Millennials in the, uh, in the Workplace. If you've not seen it, you must watch it. It's probably one of the most profound and prophetic things I heard last year. And he says this, We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good. In a 2012 study, Harvard research scientists reported that talking about oneself through social media activates a pleasure sensation in the brain, usually associated with food, money, or sex. It's why we count the likes on Facebook. Dopamine is the same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, drink, or gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive. An entire generation now has access to an addictive, numbing chemical called dopamine through cell phones and social media. These things in balance are not bad. Alcohol is not bad. Too much alcohol is bad. There's nothing wrong with social media and cell phones. It's the imbalance. If you're sitting at dinner with your friends when you, and are texting somebody who's not there, that's a problem. That's an addiction. If you're sitting in a meeting with people who are supposed to be listening to and speaking to and you put your phone on the table, that sends a subconscious message to the room. You're just not that important to me. The fact that you, can put the, you can't put the phone away, that's because you're addicted. And like all addictions, in time it will destroy relationships, it will cost time, it will cost money, and it will make your life worse. Ouch. Ouch. That is a prophetic statement for our generation. And he's entirely focused on human relationships. But for us, the church, we have another relationship. How much is our addiction to social media and comfort and entertainment impacting and stopping us becoming a joy-filled house of prayer. What does it look like for you and I this year? This is what Leonard Ravenhill wrote, and you should never let me read Leonard Ravenhill before I preach. How can you pull down the strongholds of Satan if you don't even have the strength to turn off the TV? Ouch! (laughs) Double ouch! I told you, never let me read Leonard. Never let me anywhere near Leonard. How can we? But the point is made, isn't it? It's not that these things are wrong. It's when they're out of balance. And the Lord is calling us to be a joy-filled house of prayer. And if we think it won't somehow addict, uh, impact our addictions to cell phones, technology, TV and entertainment, we're kidding ourselves. There's got to become a dying to self if we really want to achieve all that God's calling us to. There's got to be a point where we get this under control. Because I'll tell you what, Simon Sinek is prophetically saying the world is out of control on this issue. And so as the church, it's our job to lead the way and be the first ones to say, do you know what? We're addicted to and we need to get it under control. We need to move to a new place. That's the first thing. The second thing is we need to prioritize. If you want a new TV this year, I bet sooner or later you're going to get a new TV. If you want a new car, sooner or later probably you'll get a new car. This year, next year, you're going to get a new car. If you want to try that new recipe, sooner or later you're going to try that new recipe. How? Prioritize. 
You prioritize, you say no to one thing to say yes to another thing. The question for us is, are we willing to prioritize becoming a joy-filled house of prayer? And what does that look like? Here's a question. Does your home, the house, the place where you live, look like a joy-filled house of prayer? Because a joy-filled corporate house of prayer is made up of lots of joy-filled individual houses of prayer. And if not, why not? If it doesn't, why not? And I'm asking myself this question, and there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no looking back and thinking, oh, but there's no, that doesn't gain anything. It's saying, Lord, you are calling us to something. All of the guilt, all the regret, all the things, the mistakes that we've made, forget that. That's under the cross. That's, Jesus has paid the price for that. Now we look forward. And we say, we want our homes, our houses. You know, I used to hang out with friends. We were all believers. And there came a point sometimes where it was so obvious to pray, and yet no one said, let's pray. Why? Because we didn't want to look stupid. We didn't want to look super spiritual. We didn't want to look religious. We've got to get over that. We've got to change our lives around this if we're going to be a joy. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to... We have unbelievers over dinner, and we will say grace. We just say, we just say grace, and we, it's not weird. It's not, we don't make it abnormal. We don't make it too long, we, especially if the food's getting cold. But we want our dinner table to be, a, be filled with prayer, to start with prayer, to start with thanks. That's okay. People accept our... You know, there was a, a, a clip this year of a, of, a, uh, of a Sikh man, and he was in the States, and he was saying, why don't, you call, why don't you guys say Happy Christmas anymore? What's wrong with you? I don't get offended when you say Happy Christmas. There's something about us Christians, we get so uptight about offending the world. And this is a Sikh guy saying, I like saying Happy Christmas. You can say Happy Christmas. And we get so uptight. We want to lead. People want to be prayed for. They want to see us pray. We've got to get over ourselves. And say, we want our places, our homes to become joy-filled houses of prayer. And the last thing is this. We've got to act differently and not give up so easily. Not give up so easily. That's what it says in this. It says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Listen, Elijah knew that God wanted it to rain, and yet he prays seven times. I don't understand that. But that's the story, and it's sent to teach us something. Sometimes, when, even when we know something's in the will of God, we have to pray more than once. Why? I don't know, but we just do. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's hap- something is happening in us. I- I've used this illustration before. You know, your, your, your light bulb doesn't work. You flick the switch and it doesn't come on. Do you, A, beat your head against the wall shouting, I will never use another switch again! <laughs> or B, change the light bulb. Imagine it still doesn't work, even after changing the light bulb. Do you... A, smash the light bulb repeatedly against your head, saying, I wish I'd never had faith in light bulbs. Or B, check the fuse box. Imagine that the light still doesn't work. Do you A, phone the electricity board after getting through, press 1 for this and press 2 for that and press 4 if your name's Brian and press 6 and you get through all that. Do you say to the person on the end, I should never have trusted in electricity. I'm never using electricity. Or do you B, call an electrician? Why? Because you have faith in electricity. You know that it works and there must be a problem in some way, something, some reason, and so you just keep going. Now take that, bottle that, that's what faith looks like. That's what faith looks like and when we apply that to God, we can stand before him and say, God, I don't know why this isn't working, but I know this, sooner or later you're going to come through for me. I know that my Redeemer lives. Sooner or later, this is, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop leaning into you. I'm not going to stop waiting on you. 
that the problem cannot be with you. You are perfect and good and you always provide. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to try everything I can and then I'm just going to wait because you will come through for me. You will come through for me. You know, there's a famous um, healing evangelist in the, in the States and his, what, a man called John G. Lake. And what he would do, he would train people to pray for the sick and what he would do, he'd give them a month of training then he'd send them off with a name of someone who was sick. And he would send them off to their house and say, don't come back until they're healed. <laughs> and that was their training course. I will not train you anymore until you have stayed with this person. And he said after, he said some came up within two hours, some within a few days, some within a few weeks, some within a few months, but they all came back. We should try a training course like that. That's hardcore. <laughs> the reality is this. There's something in us as believers that just wants to give up too easily. And if we're to be a joy-filled house of prayer, we've got to learn. We are going to pray and not give up. We're going to hang on and hang on until we see the answer that the Lord has promised us. What's it for you? How do you need to think differently? How do you need to act differently? What's it for us? God has called us to a destination. And he has called us there as a community. And we will get there. It is in his heart. It's in his word. He will have a joy-filled house of prayer. It's just a matter of time. I'm saying, God, let's make it quicker. <laughs> let's do what we can this year to change our thinking, our actions, to get to where the Lord has taken us so that we can have an underpinning to all that he's called us to do.